Good evening. A fist bump with an alleged killer in Saudi Arabia between the crown prince and the U.S. president. We follow the president's travels through Israel, the West Bank, and now Saudi Arabia. A U.S. howitzer arrives in Ukraine. The real story behind the murder of Emmett Till. 77 years since the first atom bomb. A Buffalo supermarket reopens, flooding in West Virginia. And a medical examiner has this to say about the death of Jalen Walker. So with these and other stories, I'm Paul DiRienzo with the WBAI News for Friday, July 15th, 2022. President Biden received the Medal of Honor from Israeli President Herzog today. Biden says it's one of the greatest moments of his life. America's commitment to Israel's security remains ironclad. And as a leader, I can say without hesitation that being known as a friend of Israel and receiving this award today is among the greatest honors of my career. And I mean that from the bottom of my heart. In fact... Afterwards, Biden met with Palestinian Authority President Mahmoud Abbas, where he promised to continue the fight for a two-state solution, two separate states, Israel and Palestine, existing side by side. The Palestinian people are hurting now. You feel, you can just feel it. Your grief and frustration in the United States, we can feel it. But we've never give up on the work of peace. You know, there must be a political horizon that the Palestinian people can actually see or at least feel. We cannot allow the hopelessness to seal away the future that so many have worked toward for so long. So even if the ground is not ripe for, at this moment to restart negotiations, the United States and my administration will not give up on trying to bring the Palestinians and Israelis and both sides closer together. Biden visited a Palestinian hospital where he got a very different reception from a Palestinian-American nurse. If you have a question about hospitals and answers, you don't, I'll do it privately. I am American Palestinian from New Jersey, Birmingham County, and I vote for you. I am a head nurse of pediatric intensive care unit at Makassid Hospital. Thank you for your support, but we need more justice, more dignity, and thank you. Thank you. Thank you, folks. Appreciate it very, very much. Thank you. Biden then walked away from the dais and did not directly respond to the nurse who made that statement. Meanwhile, the fiancé of Jamal Khashoggi, who was filmed outside the Saudi embassy in Turkey, pacing nervously as her husband-to-be trying to get needed papers for their marriage, was being murdered. She didn't know that at the time. He definitely never returned. She had this to say of President Biden's visit and meeting, fist bump it was, with the crown prince, a man that the president once said was a pariah. And uh, Biden will lose his moral authority by putting oil and expediency over principles and values. What I think that the United States should not bow to a dictator uh, that has been working um, against uh, American interests and siding with Russia and manipulating oil prices and jailing Americans and others. And, and it's very clear that Biden uh, failed to uphold his promise and uh, losing his credibility and American people will see that he's backing down now. It was a very, very big hope to me to believe Biden will 
do something for me and for Jamal. So, and he says being different now, he's doing the same. Embracing dictators in the region right now, it's a very disappointing for me. I know we cannot bring Jamal back. Uh, at least uh, he has to insist to reset human rights agenda in Saudi Arabia. He has to ask what happened to his body. Whereas his body still, we do not have any answer. People need to get a truth in this case. We cannot forget what happened to Jamal. And that's Jamal Khashoggi's fiance, Hatiz Senjis. And U.S. peace activist Kathy Kelly adds, where was U.S. concern for the starving children of Yemen at war with Saudi Arabia and home to one of the world's greatest humanitarian crises? I had for many years understood the idea, no blood for oil, don't shed blood for oil. And I would like to say no starvation for oil. When President Biden does a fist bump with Mohammed bin Salman, it's a victory for Mohammed bin Salman, who can now say, I'm not a pariah anymore. They are going to tolerate whatever I want to do with regard to Yemen. And the most important issue going on right now in that region of the world, although certainly any kind of movement toward possible nuclear war and development of weapons of mass destruction it should always be challenged but there are starving children there are children who are going to die of starvation president biden could have made a huge difference on behalf of that utterly beleaguered population that's been bombed by u.s supplied weapons by going to yemen but instead there's this kind of tacky fist bump with mohammed bin salman uh, and, you know, they, they maligned uh, Vladimir Putin for high-fiving Mohammed bin Salman at an earlier meeting. But uh, I think Joe Biden has just put himself in that ring of people who say dictators are okay with us. Do you think that's sort of a message, like a message for Putin to poke in the eye of Putin while you, you high-fived him, I fist-bumped him? I think that they're very nervous that China is going to team up with Saudi Arabia on various projects and the United States wants to say we're going to get in there in terms of being the suppliers of ongoing weaponry. It's almost like a mafiosa gang in my view of people who are willing to tolerate enormous shipments of material and weapons, ammunition, enabling a blockade and say, sure, that's fine. That's the way we play ball. We just force other countries to submit to doing what we believe is in our interest. Fist bumping is a, it's a signal, but it should be a signal to people in the United States, too. You know, how do we want to be viewed all around the world? Is there any daylight between the Biden policy and the Trump policy with Saudi Arabia? It's a continuation supplying of weaponry and the maintenance of the blockade, the tolerance for Mohammed bin Salman's thuggish behavior and his willingness to bludgeon another country. This was a continuation of those policies. And there was a slight exception made when Biden was campaigning. But obviously, this wasn't something he really cared about. The Khashoggi murder, such a brutal, obvious act done in full view of the world. And yet the president goes to meet with him. Is this real politics? We should get used to it. You know, it's interesting that Jamal Khashoggi worked for the Washington Post. President Biden had his justification for this trip printed in the Washington Post. So we have to rely on alternative forms of media and keep on 
pressuring elected officials to do the right. Right now, we do have Senator Leahy and Senator Warren and Senator Sanders putting forth a bill calling for an end to the United States support for war against Yemen waged by Saudi Arabia and the coalition. And there are 100 House representative members who could get on board for this too. We ought to at least try where we can to avoid the support for for warmongers who have cruel attitudes toward dying children. Kathy Kelly, a U.S. peace activist on the president's visit to Saudi Arabia. At a press conference, uh, journalists wore T-shirts with the pictures of deceased journalist Shireen Abu Akhla as President Joe Biden and Palestinian Authority President Mahmoud Abbas spoke. It was at the presidential palace in Bethlehem. Today, Abu Akhla was killed after being hit by a live bullet when she was covering an Israeli military raid in the occupied West Bank city of Jenin. And Russia says it has successfully struck a hangar of weapons the United States had given Ukraine's armed forces. Russian Defense Ministry spokesperson Lieutenant General Igor Konoshenkov said a high-precision weapon fired by Russian forces had destroyed a hangar in Chasivyar in the Donetsk region. He said the hangar housed American 155-millimeter M777 howitzers and up to 30 Ukrainian militants shelling residential areas of Donetsk. Here's some sounds of those howitzers being loaded and fired in Ukraine. That's the sound of M77 155-millimeter howitzers. They uh, can be moved around on trailers by trucks, which are also supplied to Ukraine by the United States. Konoshenkov's comments reported by the state-run TASS news agency Saturday have not been independently verified. The howitzer cannons are part of an $800 million weapons package announced by the Biden administration in April that also includes armored personnel carriers, helicopters, and tens of thousands of artillery rounds. Since then, the United States has stepped up its military support for Ukraine announcing on Friday its latest package worth $400 million for weapons of high-mobility artillery rocket systems, H-M-A-R-S. You know how the military loves its acronyms. And here in the United States, Mississippi's top legal official has no plans to prosecute the white woman whose accusations set off the lynching of black teenager Emmett Till nearly 70 years ago. An aide said Friday, following revelations about an unserved arrest warrant and a newly revealed memoir by the woman, Michelle Williams, the chief of staff for Attorney General Lynn Fitch, said there's no new evidence to open the case. Case back up. Historian Timothy Tyson, who's written on the Till case, has this analysis of the new developments in the case of racial murder. Autobiography should be taken with a, a good-sized shovel full of salt. The story she tells in it is, it is that Roy, her husband, brought Emmett Till to her at 2.30 in the morning and wanted to, her to identify him, that she said it wasn't him three times. And then she said... Emmett Till flashed me a strange smile and uh, said, yes, it was me. Two big white men with guns came and dragged him out of his aunt and great uncle's house at 2 o'clock in the morning in the Mississippi Delta in 1955. I do not believe for one minute that he identified himself. She said something I thought was interesting, not in the in the manuscript, but to me, she said, uh, you tell these stories until it seems like they're true. 
Timothy Tyson, a historian on the new findings in the case of Emmett Till. A group searching the basement of the LaFleur County Courthouse in June discovered the unserved arrest warrant charging Donham, then-husband Roy Bryant and brother-in-law J.W. Millam, in Till's abduction in 1955. While the men were arrested and acquitted on murder charges until subsequent slaying Donham, 21 at the time and 87 now, was never taken into custody. More historic news of incidents today. 77 years ago tomorrow, the first atomic bomb exploded in the Jornada de Muerta, a desert in New Mexico that translates to journey of death. The bomb started with a uranium mine in the Belgian colony of Congo, moved by ship to a warehouse on Staten Island, and then to a vast top-secret networks of labs and factories, ending up in Tennessee and in New Mexico. Hanford, Washington as well. And in those three locations, the uranium then enriched into a bomb-making mixture and some used to create plutonium, another element that's usable for creating atom bombs. They were combined together, and the first bomb was actually a plutonium bomb, and it was assembled in Los Alamos, New Mexico, and there shipped to the desert, where it was hoisted to about a 100-foot-high tower by the scientists there and ignited with the blast of uh, maybe 15 or 16,000 tons of TNT, the flash was seen for 100 miles around. The government had a lot of explaining to do why there was a bright flash. People who lived in the area, although not densely populated, it definitely has a community that was terribly affected by the bomb and uh, to this day suffers from the fallout of radiation in the area. The chief of the Manhattan Project, uh, Robert Oppenheimer, afterwards told about his feelings when he saw that first bomb ignite. He knew the world would not be the same. Few people laughed. Few people cried. Most people were silent. I remembered the line from the Hindu scripture, the Bhagavad Gita. Vishnu trying to persuade the prince that he should do his duty and to impress him takes on his multi-armed form and says now I am become death the destroyer of worlds all thought that one way or another and that's Robert Oppenheimer, who was head of the vast project called the Manhattan Project, which created the first atom bomb during World War II under conditions of strict secrecy. It wasn't known by the vast majority of Americans until that day in uh, August, a few weeks after the test bomb went off, when the first atom bomb was dropped on Japan in war, followed uh, several days later by another bomb on the uh, city of Nagasaki, Japan. University of Chicago astrophysicist Robert Rosner is a former head of the Bolton Atomic Scientists. He worked at Argonne National Laboratory, which is one of the network of labs that were set up during the war and afterwards continued nuclear research into weapons construction. He says he often thinks about those words of Robert Oppenheimer. The explosion of Trinity, uh, that bomb test in New Mexico, he said, now I am become death, the destroyer of worlds, which is a, a quote from a line from the Bhagavad Gita, the Hindu holy text. It describes perfectly what the scientists felt, the scientists and, and engineers felt when they realized what they had wrought.
finally a device that really was capable of uh, destroying the world, destroying life as we know it on this planet. Those of us who are in this kind of business, I, so I'm a physicist, we think about these things fairly regularly because we do work on things that could lead to other kinds of things that have similar consequences. And these things don't go away. We today live in a world where nuclear weapons still matter, where at least one very prominent government leader is actually again threatened to use uh, nuclear weapons, Putin in Russia. It's one of those things where once invented, it doesn't go away. So, you know, the cat's out of the bag. In this case, the bomb is out of the bag and we're not stuck with it. And we don't really quite know how to deal with it. Should Oppenheimer have said, no, I'm not going to do it? He tried, but it was too late when he finally did. And he probably kicked himself. He might have done it earlier. There was a very famous letter written, a frank letter, by a bunch of scientists here at the University of Chicago, which was addressed to President Truman. Historians still argue about whether or not Truman ever actually saw that letter or was it intercepted before he saw it. And it argued not to drop the bomb on population centers, not to use it in warfare, to use it in a demonstration of the capability to basically scare the Japanese. But of course, that letter in the end had no effect. Robert Rosner of the University of Chicago, he's a physicist, formerly of the Bolton for the Atomic Scientists and the Argonne National Laboratory, which is part or was once part of the University of Chicago, one of the key labs in development of the first atomic bombs. And the Topps supermarket on Jefferson Avenue in Buffalo has officially reopened, but for many, the doors are opening way too soon. On May 14th, 10 people were fatally shot and three others were injured in a mass shooting at the store. Every person killed was black and the accused shooter is suspected white supremacist. Yesterday, the suspect was indicted on 27 federal counts if convicted he could spend in life in prison and receive the death penalty. Reaction to the store's reopening has been mixed. Last night, just because I found out this store is going to open up, we got to find the courage to go back in there. This is our, our family, people we shop with. I went in that store so many times and came out alive. So you have that inside of you, is something else going to happen? They have notified the world that we're sitting ducks in this one spot. This is still our only neighborhood grocery store, and this is still the only place we can go shop. We can spend a lot of gas and go to the suburbs and get some bread, but I don't have it like that. So I'm going to come in here whether I want to. i got to come here and get some food. And that's a uh, customer from the Topps supermarket in Buffalo where that horrific murder, mass murder, occurred in May. And in somewhat better news, everyone has been found after reports of more than 40 people missing in a rural Virginia county inundated by a torrential downpour that tore homes from their foundations and damaged roads and bridges. Crews worked overnight and through the morning in flooded areas to help locate the 44 people who have been reported missing, according to Buchanan County Sheriff Deputy Eric Breeding in a news conference. This is some sounds of what it like, what it's like to be in the middle of a flood. Six inches of rain in just hours Tuesday caused extensive damage in the western Virginia county. Combined with the fact that the area is mountainous, rainfall is able to collect quickly and dangerous runoff occurred. The case of Jalen Walker, shot 41 times in Highland Park, Illinois. It turns out he was shot 41 times. We know that about 90 shots were fired. And uh, there's been some debate about how many actually struck the man who was uh, fleeing from a traffic stop. For a minor traffic violation, and uh, before he uh, was felled by a folly, a fuselage 
of bullets from numerous police officers into the darkness into his back as he was running. The medical examiner for the county, Summit County, Dr. Lisa Kohler, had this report. It's determined that Jalen had 46 gunshot wound entrances or graze injuries. Some of those wounds are on extremities. I can't say for certain whether wounds passed through an arm and then into the body or not. There is that possibility. So I'm, I can't say anything different than we've got 46 entrance slash graze wounds. Jalen Walker's death was due to blood loss from his internal injuries. The cause of death ruling was multiple gunshot wounds. The manner of death was ruled homicide, shot by others. Our ruling of homicide is a medical ruling, meaning death at the hands of another, and is not a legal conclusion. Summit County Medical Examiner Dr. Lisa Kohler, Jaden Walker's attorney Ken Abarno had this comment. Stands out to me, and I would like to think stands out to everybody, is that an unarmed black man was shot 46 times. Jalen Walker was shot and has 46 entrance wounds in his body and died of blood loss from those multiple, multiple gunshot wounds. I don't know how that wouldn't surprise anybody to actually hear that. The lawyer for Jaden Walker discussing the uh, 46 shots that struck his client. And in more news, founding mounting pressure to respond to a conservative Supreme Court ruling. House Democrats passed two bills today that would protect abortion rights and the women who travel across state lines for the procedure. But there are major questions about whether the bill can get past the 50-50 Senate and reach President Joe Biden's desk. Congressperson Carolyn Maloney of here of New York had this to say today. Abortion is now illegal in 16 states, and anti-abortion legislators are following suit, threatening to make abortion inaccessible for roughly 33 million women across America. And they're not done. Republicans have been clear they will not stop until abortion is banned nationwide. Later today, the House will pass an updated version of the Women's Health Protection Act, which would establish a federal statutory right to abortion. The Senate must follow suit and abolish the filibuster, and we must secure pro-choice majorities in the House and Senate. Our lives depend upon it. And that's Congressperson Carolyn Maloney. Uh, Prior to the vote, there was a spirited debate on the House floor. I would ask, what about the marginalized black and Hispanic babies that are more likely to be aborted? Abortion has had a disproportionate impact on minorities and individuals with disabilities. I reserve. The gentlewoman reserves. The gentleman from New Jersey is recognized. We're talking about far-right justices telling women that they cannot get the care that they need, telling doctors that they cannot treat their patients to the best of their ability. Yes, these five justices with no medical expertise stole the fundamental freedom of controlling the health of one's own body and opened the floodgates to criminalize doctors for doing their job. Make no mistake, this is a stain on our healthcare system and a flat out assault on healthy health equity and it is a self-inflicted wound. The Women's Health Protection Act would restore 50 years of precedent and the right is a deeply invasive wrong. 
And that's some of the debate on the House before the bill was passed in the House earlier today. Of course, it it faces dim prospects in a Senate so closely divided. And finally, uh, there's a debate within the movement to uh, fight for uh, freedom to women's freedom to have an abortion. And that is between uh, groups that say that the Democratic Party has failed women and others who say that they're doing everything they can. One of the groups that have come under criticism from the Democratic Party aligned groups is the group Rise Up for Abortion Rights, which uh, some say is a front for an organization known as the Revolutionary Communist Party. Well, people from that party say that's unfair, that all they're doing is uh, organizing people to do something that might actually really work, pointing to failures of Democrats in the past. Outside uh, the uh, Supreme Court, a reporter caught up with two members of Rise Up for Abortion Rights who laid out their beliefs. I received a text message from Joe Biden's campaign yesterday saying that the Supreme Court had overturned Roe versus Wade and that it was my responsibility to then rush $15 to the Democratic National Party. Um, and I thought that was absolutely outrageous because my rights should not be a fundraising point for them um, or a campaigning point. Uh, they have had multiple opportunities to codify Roe into law over the past 20, 30, 40, 50 years, and they haven't done it. And if they're going to keep campaigning on this point, they should actually do something about it. It seems like you have obvious anger towards the Democratic Party because you feel as if they've missed chances to codify Roe up until this point and then here we are. What does that mean for you when it comes to the midterm elections and getting more Democrats um, elected to move forward with trying to codify um, Roe? Well, when it comes down to the, the primaries, which I think are coming up in the next couple months, um, it means that we need to get as many people to the polls as possible to vote for more progressive Democrats. We need to get the old white Democrats out of office and put in new younger people who will actually defend the rights of women and people all over this country. Zoe Warren is with the group Rise Up for Abortion Rights. Democrats have struggled to get their full party to vote for abortion rights with uh, Senator Manchin voting against a House bill in May that would have codified Roe. Even if Manchin had voted yes, the bill would have fallen 10 votes short of the 60 needed to overcome a filibuster. And that's some of the news for Friday, July 15, 2022. The news is produced with Linda Perry, our engineers, Rishi Johnson from New York City. I'm Paul Durienzo. Thanks for listening. <laughs>